A man who took great pride in his lawn found himself with a large crop of dandelions. He tried every method he knew to get rid of them. Still, they plagued him. Finally, he wrote the Department of Agriculture. He enumerated all the things he had tried and he closed his letter with the question, what shall I do now? In due course, the reply came, we suggest you learn to love them. So um, sweet vignette that's easy to understand when it's something on the order of dandelions. But what about when it's the things that are more challenging, life challenging um, in our lives? Um, how does that suggestion of learn to love it um, play out in that, uh, on that level? So I got a reminder of somebody who I feel like has lived that out at a remarkable um, level. And um, um, I've enjoyed every time I've come across his sharings of it. So when I'm in the grocery store checkout line, I'll scan the, the magazine covers, the, the headlines. Um, rarely do I have any interest beyond <laughs> what is said on the cover. Uh, but not so long ago, I saw a People magazine with Michael J. Fox on the cover. Uh, and the headlines were The Truth About My Life Now. And it had a subtitle, Decades into his Parkinson's fight, the actor reveals how he survived his darkest moment two years ago and found his way back to having hope. Without hesitation, I bought it. <laughs> so I just kind of want to share today uh, some of the story that Michael J. Fox has shared about his life and, and just even that word fight. Um, People magazine wrote that. That's not what he said, his fight with Parkinson's. Um, and we'll come to that. Um, but he has had a remarkable orientation to his journey with Parkinson's that's worth hearing. Um, and that magazine kind of brought it back to me. Years ago, I had read a Parade magazine article. I actually still have the article about him learning to um, live with Parkinson's with gratitude and happiness. Um, and it's very clear, not an easy ride by any means. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's at the age of 29. Uh, he had a two-year-old son uh, at the time of his diagnose, diagnosis. And his initial response was to take a deep dive into a pit of alcohol. Um, um, and really um, went into a very dark, dark, dark place with it. Um, I knew he had Parkinson's. I mean, his famous actor knew, knew it had been out there, but I really didn't understand. I had, hadn't read anything about his personal journey. And that Parade Magazine article it was just this beautiful, powerful story of someone learning to embrace the unwanted, that he couldn't get rid of. When I read that story a number of years ago, it read kind of like um, somebody who had it figured out. 
and what I appreciated about the update in People magazine this time uh, was he's he's absolutely authentic with his ups and downs, um, and and with his naming that this process of acceptance is not a once and done work. It's an ongoing journey with life, um, with how it unfolds. We come back again and again and do another, another layer of the work, another level of the work. So the, the current piece that came up um, started two years ago when he had a non-cancerous tumor removed from his spine. Had been monitored and growing for a long time and had gotten to the place where he was in danger of not being able to walk. With his Parkinson's by this point, he already could barely walk. He already was really struggling to walk, but um, the tumor was um, causing a lot of pain, a lot, of, a lot more problems. So they decided, even though it was very difficult surgery, to do the surgery. Uh, it took four months to learn how to walk again um, after the surgery. And interestingly, that wasn't what got him. He was fine. <laughs> the, you know, Parkinson's, non-cancerous tumor, um, surgery, four months to learn how to walk again. That was, that was stuff that happens in a life. And he had an orientation to that kind of stuff by this time as what just happens in a life, um, that he was able to hold his grounding through that process. But just as he finally felt recovered from the surgery and was able to walk with more freedom again, he woke up one morning feeling stronger than he had in a long time and kind of glorying in his ability to walk he took a corner too fast and um, hit hard on the floor, um, badly breaking his arm. That's what took him down. And what took him down was the feeling that <clears throat> here he had put in all of that work and then he blew it on this kind of cocky moment of, I got this. Um, and so it was the self-blame for, um, for the second um, recovery. Um, and um, just so, so upset and disappointed in himself um, for having had that, taking advantage of that feeling of a little bit of joy um, in walking that way. <clears throat> And so he went again to a really black place with it, made him start to question everything that he thought he believed in, his basic optimism in life um, in face of Parkinson's, his willingness to share that optimism with others. He began to feel not just depressed about his situation being mostly bed bound, bed confined again, um, and trying to heal from this, but also really kind of like a fraud um, for having believed in his optimism and having shared that optimistic view with others, um, 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 speaking about it in, in his life. 
So here's what he says about it. Uh, uh, this is ne- he wrote a, a new book called No Time Like the Future, and this is a small excerpt um, from the book. Uh, my mood darkens, even with all my health issues. I don't believe I've ever fully grasped the very real depression and in, in the marginalization experienced by many people who are ill and suffering. Their burdens exist on levels I can't even imagine. The death of a child, the loss of liberty, the exile from home or country. There is no end to sadness. But we can only live our own lives. In my life, at this moment, I'm stretched by what I have to deal with. I feel pelted by too many lemons to ever think of lemonade. And so in the article, he says, that was when I questioned everything. Like, I can't put a shiny face on this. There is no bright side to this. There is no upside. This is just all regret and pain. And then of course, something did shift for him. And ultimately that shift unfolded in in the most strange place that you could imagine. He let himself follow what he felt he needed confined to his bed. So he obsessively began to watch reruns of 1970s game shows and watch them and watch them and watch them over and over. But what was different about him doing it than than the way many people binge on something like that is that he, he began to get curious about why am I watching this? Why, why am I watching this? this? Here's, here, actually, here's what he said. I asked myself, why was I binge watching old shows with dead people on them? People winning cars that have long since been junked. And it all started pointing to mortality. And I realized that I'm out there in the reruns too. And my reruns are going to survive me. And maybe someone will stumble on me when they're in a fugue state and binge on my shows. It all kind of contributed to this circle where I just realized that we roll along. From that point, he really found his way back to a perspective on what was unfolding in his life that made made a difference touching not just into his own mortality, but the fact of everyone's limited lifespan really changed things for him. And tellingly, the subtitle of his new book is called, is An Optimist Considers Mortality. I don't know why I never thought to read one of his books before, but after I read that subtitle, An Optimist Considers Mortality, I put my name on the list at the library. I'm 69th on the list for the 17 books. (laughs) So if you want to join there, it's going to take a little bit to get it, but you can. (laughs) So that, that recognition, that understanding mortality is what brought his optimism back. That's kind of profound. 
Uh, last week, uh, I mentioned in Buddhist psychology that there are what they call the three marks of existence, these three facts of life that we have to come to terms with if we want to live life well. And one of them is that all things change. Impermanence is a fact of life. Therefore, the fact of our mortality is one of the marks of existence that we have to reckon with if we want to live well. If you bring this up with someone who's not done this kind of work or let themselves really think openly around these issues, um, they inevitably will say something like, well, that sure is morbid. But there's this interesting thing that happens when we learn to deal with mortality as a fact of life, that it starts to offer a certain kind of freedom that's relevant to living well with joy and happiness. I love the way Michael J. Fox connected a recognition of mortality, his and all of our mortality, and the circle that we're all in that just rolls on to the regaining of his optimism and a wise, compassionate acceptance um, in his life. So this is what he says. Optimism is really rooted in gratitude. Optimism is sustainable when you keep coming back to gratitude. And what follows from there is acceptance. Acceptance that this thing has happened and you accept it for what it is. It doesn't mean you can't endeavor to change. It doesn't mean you have to accept it as a punishment or penance, but just put it in its proper place. Then see how much, of the, rest, how much the rest of your life you have to thrive in. And then you can move on. Love that. Gratitude as the foundation to strengthen and stabilize the system. From that foundation, a right kind of accepting that sees and understands what's hard begins to emerge. It's not fighting what you can't change, what's already here, but rather it's about finding a right way to work with what is here and keep it in a proper perspective in your life. Life is impermanent, not gonna last forever for any of us. And it was that knowledge that woke him back up to the whole cycle of things. So I went back and dug out, I keep articles that I like, I have a file of them. I went back and I dug out the parade article um, um, and found again, um, there's, there's a lot of beauty in that whole article, but one in particular, his answer to the question he was asked, how do you battle with Parkinson's? His answer, I don't look at life as a battle or a fight. I don't think I'm scrappy, I'm accepting. I say living with or working through Parkinson's. Acceptance doesn't mean resignation. It means understanding that something is what it is and that there's gotta be a way through it. 
I look at it like I am a fluid that's finding the fissures and cracks and flowing through. That last line, I look at it like I am a fluid that's finding the fissures and cracks and flowing through. That's one of the most beautiful metaphors I know of for learning to align with wisdom and love, with working with the difficult. It's interesting how learning to take our mortality into the equation is what helps us learn how to be more fluid with our lives. So let's just pause there for a minute. All the sounds of the rain, there's this reminder, we're not just mortal, we're also water. Two-thirds water. There is a natural fluidity that is part of our essence and our being. In what ways is it useful to acknowledge the fluid nature of life in its entire cycle? Thank you.